0: Coming tonight to the Old Testament witness to Jesus here in verse 27, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We still have a message we'll come back to in verse 26 of his being necessary for the Christ to suffer. Why? And then it was necessary then to enter into his glory. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next Sunday evening. But Jesus presents himself, although they didn't know it was Jesus yet, that that uh, he is the covenant fulfiller, the covenant keeper, as he presents himself to these disciples. It's remarkable, isn't it, to you, that, as well as it is to me, that the teaching that he gives, wouldn't that kind of ring in their ears and say, hey, who is this? This must be the Lord teaching such rich things from the Old Testament, but still their eyes were kept from them. Charles Spurgeon says on this passage uh, in his incomparable morning and evening, here we find the best of teachers, Jesus, expounding the best of books, the Bible, on the best of subjects, himself. Beautiful statement. We tune in to listen to what he says to them, and most commentators remark on this wishing that there was more, of this conversation that was included by the Lord through his servant Luke. But the Lord knows best what he puts in and what he leaves out. Like in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, Jehovah declaring his own name to Moses when he is in the cleft of the rock with great majesty, we see the incarnate God now declaring in his exaltation himself from the high mountain of lofty scripture. Jesus is the center of all things. How can he not then be the center of his own word? He who is the word of God made flesh. Before looking then at this passage and the specific teaching of how he is in the Old Testament, I want you to consider three things just briefly in which Christ is at the center of the Old Testament apart from what he says here. Number one, Jesus is the center of all things as the creator who has come to save his creature, man. He is God. He never ceases to be God, even when he is incarnate. He is in the bosom of the Father the whole time that he humbles himself as a man and pays for our sins here on earth. Therefore, he must be the center as all things are of him. He is before all things, says the book of Colossians. All things consist in him and for him. So how could it possibly be that anything can be understood or grasped apart from him and his being the center of all things as the creator? Secondly, he is the source of the salvific revelation that he is expounding here from the prophets who inspired the prophets to give these things. You open to the first chapter of first Peter and Peter writes that the prophets spoke by the spirit of Christ and then turned around and studied the very prophecies that were given to them. So, again, looking to the Old Testament, how can he not be the center since he is the the source of inspiration? It's he who sent forth the spirit. He's the inspirer of every word spoken by every prophet. And so, again, even apart from the fact that the content of the Old Testament is about Christ, he is the author of it. He is the source of it. And then, thirdly, we must say that Jesus is the substrata of the Old Testament revelation. He is the one, as Hebrews chapter 13 says, is the same yesterday as well as today and forevermore. He has been with his people every step of the way. He did not first become their savior 2,000 years ago. He became their savior back, our savior, back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The Old Testament then itself lives and moves and has its being upon this covenanted son who would be sent into the world to save us from our sins, that we might believe upon him and not perish, but rather have eternal life. We can say that the whole Old Testament lives and moves and has its being in him, upon him, and unto him. Then that Christ is the object of prophetic utterance in the Old Testament That is before us in this passage. So there's the background, and now we look at specifically Old Testament prophecy. It should be remarked here as we think about Jesus talking about himself in the Old Testament and how they are prophetic of him, that it probably goes too far to say that everything's about him directly because, let's face it, there are prophecies in the Old Testament that prophesy other great things. As we open our Old Testaments, there are prophecies in the Old Testament regarding um, other things beside Christ. We have the captivity of the Jews prophesied by the prophets and the return of the Jews from their captivity. We have the prophecy of the destruction of Babylon and of Jerusalem. We have the outpouring of the Spirit prophesied by Joel and Isaiah. We have the spread of the gospel beyond the border unto all the nations that all the islands would wait for his law. We have prophecies of the conversion of the Gentiles and nations being turned to the Lord. We have prophecies of the persecution of the church of the Lord Jesus. Prophecies of the last days, the call of the Jews after hardening their hearts, the millennium and the last judgment with heaven and hell. All of those are prophetic. All of those point to things that are going to come to pass. Yes, under Christ. Yes, under the Father. Yes, through the Holy Spirit. But what did he tell the disciples? He said the prophets point to him. Does this intend only prophets? Is he saying here we've got to talk about those who only are called to be prophets of the Lord, duly called to that role? You know, Abraham was referred to as a prophet. I forbade you to touch my prophet Abraham, it says in the Old Testament. So I would take this in a larger way when he's talking about pro- prophets, not only prophets so-called. Otherwise, we would have to leave out Daniel. Daniel was not a prophet. He was a statesman. But rather, he's speaking here about the prophetic word that we have in the Old Testament. And I think that it should be broader than just prophetic utterances. And others should count. For instance, let's, look at, let's, let's take a quick walk through the Old Testament. Eve prophetically received that word from the Lord that from her a seed from the woman would bruise a serpent's head. That's the first promise, and it's also prophetic of what would come to take place. Noah is prophetic, at least typologically, hammering out another and greater ark through his son Shem and his welcoming tent to the Gentiles of Japheth. Abraham certainly was prophetic, See, sees him as the son raised from the dead and that very heavily laden typological action in Genesis chapter 22. Jacob sees his star arising to rule over all. Joseph is a type of both Christ's humiliation and lowliness and rising up from that to be at the right hand of the king. Joseph is a picture of, of Jesus, of the coming Christ. In fact, the Jews... Uh, recognized in their um, history, um, they almost came up with two different messiahs. There was Messiah Ben-Joseph and Messiah Ben-David. Christ, the son of Joseph, to suffer, and Christ, the son of David, to reign and to rule over all. And some of them even went so far to say that there were two messiahs. How could he both be a sufferer and be glorious? And we have that in the one person. The Lord Jesus. Certainly Moses sees a prophet like himself. He lifts up a brazen serpent, as we read this morning in John chapter three, which was made sin for us. So he looks at, at, at one who would be similar. We could have a whole message just on how on the parallels between Moses and Christ. Uh, Moses was a special child, uniquely set apart. There was suffering of other children when he came into this world. His meekness, his leadership, his rejection by those that he would lead, doing great miracles. and The list goes on and on. Joshua is, a, is a, a one who points to a greater captain of the Lord and conqueror of all. Samson and the judges point to one stronger than himself. David certainly is prophetic when he speaks of a a king being enthroned at the right hand of God, which we sang of tonight in uh, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But this would be a rule not just in David temporally, but Christ eternally. And also recognize that his Lord would not suffer decay, that he would be resurrected from the dead and overcome death, as uh, Psalm 16 brings out. We move on to regal Isaiah. Isaiah is very rich in prophetic material regarding Jesus. No doubt, Jesus pointed to Isaiah's passage that we read tonight of his suffering in Isaiah chapter 53. Must he not suffer? This is the passage, that great passage later on where the Ethiopian eunuch would be open to as uh, Philip comes and opens the gospel to him. But much else that beside is found in Isaiah. He, he presents him as our Emmanuel, God with us, as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, those wonderful titles, all of which stand behind his having this government and kingdom which knows no end. Uh, the smaller, minor prophets, minor not because they're less important, but minor because of their size. Hosea speaks of him coming out of Egypt, the land of death, to do what? To swallow up death. Jeremiah speaks of Jesus as the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah and Zechariah speak of him as the branch. Ezekiel and Zechariah speaks of Jesus as the shepherd who would gather together one flock. And Daniel in chapter 7 speaks of the Son of Man from heaven and his everlasting dominion. Micah, in the time of Isaiah, speaks of him as the ruler in in Israel in Micah 5 and verse 2. And last but not least, Malachi speaks of Jesus as the angel of the covenant. Jesus has a lot to choose from as he points to himself in the Old Testament prophetic scriptures, beginning from Genesis all the way to, to Malachi. Why, even the false prophet Balaam prophesies of him. When he says, I hear the shout of a king amongst Israel. There is one coming, you see, that is going to suffer and is going to then enter into glory. What a full picture from the Old Testament of Jesus. What a roadmap for those who are anticipating his first coming. What a powerful and prophetic word from on high. How many of the prophecies could you list off the top of your head? To be able to say to somebody who says, how do I know the Bible is God's word? Part of the defense of that, part of the evidence you would present, is how God fulfills his word, his prophetic word. Let us list as many as we can and feel the avalanche of their weight. I don't know how long this conversation went on with these two disciples. Was it five minutes? Ten minutes? Did Jesus teach them for 30 minutes? 45 minutes? Did it go on for a couple hours as they're walking? And he just goes through and speaks of all these prophecies. What was prophesied of Jesus in the Old Testament? His incarnation, that God would be with us. His conception to a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7. His birth to a lowly couple and to be born in Bethlehem. The seed of the woman in the line of Shem, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, descended from the tribe of Judah, to rule and to reign. He was born where other infants um, were put to death. His flight into Egypt, we mentioned in Hosea already, but that he would minister in Galilee as the prophet expected by Moses and pointed out by one crying in the wilderness. Even his herald is prophesied that uh, John the Baptist mentioned in both um, uh, Malachi and in Isaiah chapter 40. So, not only a priest, but one after the order of Melchizedek, having a body, he said, that fulfills the temple made by hands. Remember what he said at the outset of his ministry? The gospel of John, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That ties him with the temple that God gave, a temporary picture of Jesus. And you open your confession, and you see how these types and shadows are prophetic of Christ and ministered grace to the believers in the Old Testament. Um, He not only fulfilled the temple, he fulfills all the sacrifices of shedding blood. All of the lambs, all of the goats, all of the bulls and so forth were um, pictures of the atonement of Jesus and his blood. I've said this several times to you already. You're probably sick of hearing it, but you're going to hear it one more time, so be a little sicker. When John the Baptist said on that fateful day, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the exact same expression that the priests would use at the Passover when they chose from this special flock of lambs, the purest lambs, and they would pick the purest of the purest. And before the watching people, they would raise up that lamb and say those very words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when John says that from the priestly house of Zechariah, he is pointing to the fulfillment of all of those lambs, all those sacrifices. Jesus is the life of the Old Testament. And as we learn in the book of Exodus, quoted in the book of Hebrews, the pattern that was given to Moses regarding the worship, regarding the sacrifices, regarding the temple, regarding the priesthood, all of that was to be exactly followed. But that Image in the heights, in the mountain, is ultimately the image of Christ. What they were told to take from the, that imagery, Jesus is the pattern of all these things. We often say, isn't it great that Jesus fulfilled these patterns? The pattern itself came from Jesus in the first place. That's why they mesh. And all of that is to be seen in Christ and through Christ. Other prophecies that he would be surprisingly rejected by the Jews. He would be betrayed by a friend and forsaken by by all. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, which then would be cast into the potter's field and and a, a piece of land bought. That 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 man who betrayed him, and his office would be taken by another. That false witnesses would rise against him, Psalm 22. That when he was accused, he would be silent, as we read in Isaiah 53. As uh, he is attacked by not only the Jews, but Gentiles alike. Look at Psalm Psalm 2, where both the, the people, Israel, and the Gentiles gather together. And in that broad way, speaking about two different trials, which we've come through in the Gospel of Luke. A trial before the ecclesiastical court of the Jewish Sanhedrin and then standing before Pilate and the leadership of Rome. Jew and Gentile alike gather against him. But he who sits in the heavens will laugh because he will crown and seat his Messiah upon his holy hill of Zion. We read in the Old Testament already before it happens that he was smitten in the face. That when Jesus was suffering for our sins, that soldiers would come and punch him in the face. And this took place both under the Jews and the Gentiles. That they would uh, pluck out his beard. That they would plow his back. That they would spit upon him. And yet all the time he was hated without due cause. All of his sufferings, we learn, is vicarious. That he would be crucified. His hands and feet would be pierced. Uh, it's interesting that Isaiah talks about this centuries before crucifixion was used as a form of torture and capital punishment. It says in the Bible that he would be with sinners as he died, that he would be mocked and insulted, that he would be given gall and vinegar to drink. Why, the very words that were uttered in Psalm 22 are repeated at the foot of the cross. You, he trusted God. Let God deliver him. But in turn, he prays for his enemies. That too was foretold. That even down to the soldiers casting dice for his clothes. And through all this cruelty, through all this torture, it is prophesied that not a single bone would be broken. Which is actually prophesied in the Passover meal because the lamb itself was not to have any of its bones broken there also. The Old Testament tells us that he would be buried with the rich. That his resurrection and ascension and enthronement at the right hand of God was was to come. His triumphant entry on earth into Jerusalem and in heaven into the new Jerusalem. Both are prophesied in the Old Testament. That his kingdom would extend throughout all the earth. That his dominion over all things being placed beneath his feet as supreme king was coming. That his righteous and perfect government Uh, would be extolled throughout the earth. And while we are still waiting for it, his second coming in glory. I don't think I hit everything. Did I miss any? I think I missed some. I must have missed some. What do we take from this? We don't know all that he expounded to them. We know that their hearts were warmed. We'll talk about warm hearts later. But let's consider three things as we close. How do we learn from this, even though we don't know the full content? Nevertheless, number one of three things, the Lord fulfills his word. Count on it. God's word never fails. Not a single word fell uh, in the days of Joshua that God had said. His will always comes to pass. And we can trust it. We can bank on it. Not a jot or a tittle will fall. Heaven and earth will pass away but my word will not pass away. What a foundation this is for your faith. You don't have a wobbly word to be trusting in, but the sure word of a God who not only cannot lie, but has sworn by himself to be a redeemer of those who rest in him as we studied this morning. The prophet par excellence is your teacher. You have his anointing. You are to be firm students of the Word of God and love His Word. So the Lord fulfills His Word is the first point. Secondly, the Lord has other prophecies yet to be fulfilled regarding the church age, this this period of time that we are in um, between the two advents. He has other prophecies to be fulfilled regarding the end times, which is a controverted, debated matter. The church has never nailed down eschatology and we're still debating these things today, but still the prophecy of Christ's return and the new heavens and the new earth. Recognize here, if that's if his first coming had so many prophecies about it specifically fulfilled, we can trust the prophecies regarding his return. Your future is ever brighter than the past. So that means you should be filled with faith, up with hope, dear believer. Your future is bright. Your path, the path of the righteous, shines more and more to the perfect day. Are things gloomy? Are things doomy right now in your world? As you probably spend too much time watching the news, seeing what's going on in Washington, glued to your TV or or to your internet. Listen, look up. Your redemption is drawing near because your redeemer is returning who is your savior, who comes to rescue you and bring you out from all sin, from the presence of all wickedness, all of your iniquities done away with. I couldn't help but think as we were singing some of these hymns tonight, what will it be like to sing in heaven, to offer our praises perfectly, gloriously. One of the things I don't like as I'm getting a wee bit older these days is my voice is giving out. I can't hit some of these notes any longer. But there's coming a day when I will sing perfectly, and I long for that, and so should you. This is your future because of your high priest who has paid all for your sin, who has loved you so much that he was willing to come to this world to live the life that you could not live and to die the death that you dare not die because he shed his blood for you. He laid down his life for you. Nothing can snatch you then from his hand Because he intercedes eternally for you. That's the second point. And then the third as we close. The Lord's will is supreme to bring all things to pass according to his grand purpose. We sing, though the wrong seems off so strong, he is the ruler yet. All things, the Bible says, are right now beneath the feet of King Jesus. And they always will be. He is your king. Therefore, Bow your knee gladly to him. Gladly submit. Give all things over to him and to his care. And confess with your lips that he is your Lord. Nothing, recognize, nothing could stop him while he was in a state of humiliation in fulfilling all the word of God to the purpose that he was sent. How much more, now that he is exalted and supreme, over all the angels as the Theanthropos, the God-man. He is supreme over all of the angels, supreme over all of heaven. All the universe is underneath him. This world is beneath him. We rightly sing he has the whole world in his hands. And he's the one who allows for evil to take place. And we have to trust his will in those things. Nothing is too hard for your Jesus Nothing is ever too hard, and you can always look to him. And so believe God's word, believe his will, rather than your own poor thoughts and your own troubled feelings. Do not take counsel from your worries, from your fears, but sit down before your king. Believe his word and will, rather than your own thoughts and feelings. And who knows if you do that? Maybe those troubling thoughts... And difficult feelings will be changed greatly for the better. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the teaching that Jesus gives to us still. Lord, your spirit is still with us. Your presence abides with us to the end of the age and, of course, beyond. We thank you for this glorious purpose, to come into this world to suffer and then to enter into his glory. It was necessary that these things be so. And Lord, we look forward to next Sunday's message that exalts that truth that we find in the middle verse as we complete this section in three sermons. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the New Testament. We live under promise and fulfillment. We've seen a partial fulfillment. We know the rest is coming, for we have a foretaste of those great things that are above. And so help these foretaste, Lord, to fill our hearts and to cause us to lean forward to this high calling that we have in Christ. Lord, hear our prayers. Fill us with Your presence. Help us to go from this place, eager to serve You, whatever that service looks like, according to Your word and Your will. Lord, thank You for fulfilling all of this, these great prophecies, for being our Savior, and for making it us, uh, set before us so clearly. If we reject you we are rejecting the whole bible including the old testament so lord help us to be rather believing rather than unbelieving help us not to be slow witted or sluggish in our faith in our hearts we pray in your name amen